Greetings, adventurers. Before we begin today's tale, we'd like to talk about our sponsor for a service that is both useful and important. We speak, of course, of NordVPN. NordVPN is a virtual private network application, basically a magic item with infinite counterspell scrolls that can work against the scrying factions of the interwebs and various protective charms that keep your virtual communication pigeons and messages safe. In a technical sense, it establishes a secure connection to a remote server in the astral plane and allows you to access so much more content from across the world and greater multiverse. We set up our podcasting business while we still lived in the US, but after moving to Germany, we saw several problems arise we hadn't expected. Some of the things we needed on a daily basis are region locked to the US, like our banking. So we started using a VPN to securely log onto the banking website until we could talk to our bank about the issue. After two hours talking with them, their grand solution was exactly what we had figured out, NordVPN. But NordVPN isn't only a stoic bodyguard, it also has a fun side. Did you know that a large variety of entertainment is region locked, like your old DVDs? What's a DVD? Let's not make us feel old and instead explain that while you're logged into NordVPN, you can stream television shows as if you were in a different country. <clears throat> I mean, realm state. So you might have access to an entirely new lineup of great entertainment from services you're already paying for and subscribed to. NordVPN even unlocked a menagerie of new German horror content we'd never even heard of and are delighted to be enjoying every week. To get the best discount for your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash darkdice. Our link also gives listeners four extra months on a two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you've been thinking about using a VPN or are looking for a newer and safer way to utilize the content you're already paying for, or really paranoid that the silent one is secretly reading your emails, give NordVPN a try. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Greetings, adventurers, and happy holidays. Today we have something very special for you, a series of three fan-submitted stories in an interview with the Season 1 cast of Dark Dice. Each of the three stories submitted here are completely different and are varying levels of canonical. We highly recommend that even if one of these stories does not suit your fancy, that you stick around for or even skip ahead to the others, as we know you love to hear the Dark Dice cast get together for the first time since leaving the domain of the Nameless God. Or rather, trying to get to it, since not all of us even got that far. So we'll start today off with a tale called A Dark Dice Fanfic by ISN's Keep, which was written and performed by our very own David Alt. Let's get started. It had been several years since Uriel had been choked to death by a belligerent harmonica, and Ias was bored. Baron had moved away to be a tour guide in the Evil Forest, TM, and Ord was becoming quite the sought-after treasure hunter after she used her deep magics and extra senses to become a portable radar locator. Ias had had enough. Yes, he'd seen worse, but he began to long for the days when he was able to go questing and find interesting new places, or mistakenly kick large creatures into pits that required dead bodies to activate. Of course, the shop remained busy enough, and he wasn't too spurned by the various people who hadn't been able to go on another date with him all that time ago. He had to admit to an unnerving feeling of a loss of agency at the time. He knew who he'd chosen, but the fact that only one person had matched, 
Well, he couldn't help feeling that some malign entity had maybe rigged that particular vote. But in that city, you could never tell. It wasn't quite the scum of hives and millinery, but you didn't need a hat allergy to know that something stank. Nevertheless, it was on what he felt was the averagest day that year, and before you try and pick holes in that, trying to tell Ayas that the most average day would be the first day of the year and no other, remember what he's been through and what he can do with his torturous tools. That nothing was quite literally happening in the shop. Ayas even considered bottling and selling it. Such was its incredible amount of nothingness. It was even more nothingy than his joy when Pelor's people came round to talk to him about the light. In the midst of all this nothing, and when he was wondering just how much less something it could get, the nothing was quite suddenly broken by a large rectangle of light appearing beside the bookcase of romance novels almost exclusively involving punting, because he still hadn't quite got over the joy he had had those months. It expanded to the size of three large bunnies standing on top of each other, or, for metric users, a door. It was no door, it was a rectangle of light, but it had appeared as suddenly as he had in Soren's dreams, especially when there was only one bed, so he figured something might finally be about to happen. The light swirled, there was a faint sound of an elven parlour tune played on cotton far away, then a swoosh and a dashing bearded figure walked out, and the rectangle of light disappeared as disconcertingly as it had come. It had been a door after all. Shame it didn't stick around, Ias could have sold that. The hirsute individual blinked, looked around, then fixed his eyes upon our tiefling friend and exclaimed, Ias? Ayas Innskeep? Something in Ayas's nonplussed almost wonder seemed to spur this apparition onwards as he continued, I don't believe it. It actually worked. Ayas continued to pause and wait for some coherence to emanate from this confusion. Oh, sorry, he concluded. I, I never thought I'd actually make it here. You're a bit older than I expected, though. Ayas grabbed the emergency crossbow from the edge of the counter and levelled it at his visitor. He then cocked a sardonic eyebrow. Pronouns? Wait! 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 Sweated the man in front of him, then paused. You're about to shoot me and you want to know my pronouns? Oh, There's no need to be disrespectful. So? <laughs> he him! He stuttered. Good, said Ayas, and fired. Time seemed to slow as the bolt made its admittedly short journey across the small shop. The man scarcely had time to comprehend the departure, procession, and imminent arrival of the wooden shaft before he had to come to terms with not being there any more. What the... uttered Ias, as the man was replaced by a dwarven woman bedecked in a soft leather jerkin who carried a clockwork cadger in a cage and a crossbow bolt between her eyes. The corpse then made its way swiftly to the floor and began to pour its blood onto the stones. He rolled his eyes. No, not again. What just happened? said the man. You shot me, then I was here, and now there's a dead woman on the floor. Ias pushed past the man and heaved the body of the dead paladin out of the conveniently placed window before scooping up the cage and positioning it with a dozen or so others on the shelf. Now... Do you want to be responsible for another one of those, or are you going to tell me why you're here? You mean that's happened before? No, wait! 
Ayas had pulled out a throwing knife and was taking aim as the man realised that he needed to choose his words very carefully, and even more concisely. Bandersnatch! Valerian Bandersnatch, at your service! And what do you want? Valerian swallowed. I'm... I'm... I'm a fan! Ayas paused, a quizzical look spreading across his face. A what? A fan, a devotee. I really wanted to meet you, so I found a spellcaster who could make me a door that would bring me here, and now here I am, and you shot me! The tiefling shrugged. Yeah, well, I didn't think I'd have to talk about it afterwards, did I? But, but this has obviously happened before, shrilled Valerian, gesturing wildly up at the clogged shelving. Ayas responded by turning away and busying himself behind the counter. Life had become humdrum, but he'd be damned if he'd let some, admittedly quite handsome, dandy spoil his peace and quiet. There was a pause, and Valerian spoke again. You're famous, you know. This gave Ayas pause. Famous? He'd come a long way from Strathman's hold, but he'd never courted fame. Notoriety was useful only when it came to torture, not to thievery, or stocking his shop, as he sometimes called it. Since moving to Ilmater's Hope, well, that was a whole other story. But it was simply his struggle to find his son and get home to some normality, nothing more than that. Why, then, would he be famous? Yes, famous. I'm an actor. Well, actor, raconteur, and general bon vivant, so to speak. But an actor nonetheless. I, uh, <clears throat> he cleared his throat in a mock self-deprecating manner. Well, I played you in a stage play of your amazing quest to find your sons, your lover, and the magical harmonica. Ayas inwardly winced at the mention of that instrument. Within its melodious slits blew a wind of desolation and sadness. My son, Valerian paused. What do you mean, son? That journey. I went to find my son, getting back from the silent one, nothing else. No lover? No. There was a long pause. The hum... Valerian's speech was cut short by a knife suddenly appearing in the wooden wall next to his head. Just my son. Now I think you should leave. Valerian smiled wanly. Yes, well, I'm sure there's been a certain amount of artistic license in the retelling. Another knife sailed into the wall an equal distance to the other side of Valerian's nose. But but I've travelled a long way to see you. You've seen me. Now go. Valerian was now sweating and visibly disappointed. Uh, Could I ask one small favour? Ayas turned and gave a stare that would wither an entire enchanted forest. The actor ploughed on with immense force of will. Could you, um, could you say your catchphrase? My what? Your catchphrase. You know, I've seen... uh, uh... I've seen your face and now want to see your backside as you leave, Ayas snapped. Then realised what he'd just said coughed and busied himself behind the counter. Yes, uh, well, uh, said Valerian quietly, 
It's good to see that not everything has been total fiction after all. He paused, then soldiered on. You know, when you, when you see something, you say, I've seen... Uh, don't you? Oh, come on, it's famous. Do you have any business here or not? snarled Ias, now reaching the last of his patience. Yes, 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 I have business. I have something you might want to see. Even under the wary gaze of the shopkeeper, Valerian knew this was the last roll of the die for him. He reached into a small satchel at his side and pulled out a roll of parchment. Here. Ias looked again at the actor before accepting the proffered paper roll. He opened it, and as he did so, he remembered that map of insanity he'd so deftly handed off to, um... Oh, what was that dwarf's name again? Cinder Granite Pike? No. No, Granite Pike was one of the others. The, uh, the cousin or niece or whoever she was. Still, he hoped that nothing magical would be waiting to play with his senses this time. It was dusty, but otherwise relatively unbecoming. Valerian edged closer as Ias eyed the map and its legend. Uh, as you can see, it says there's a, a hoard of interesting treasures, including a crystal that can bring people back from the dead. Ias grunted. He was caught between wanting to have nothing more to do with this fool and have a quiet retirement, and wanting adventure and potentially bringing Uriel back to him. What's in it for you? I've travelled a long way to get here, and going on an adventure with you would be an honour, Mr. Innskeep. Another pause, as Ias weighed up his options, then he grabbed the rucksack that he kept behind the counter for emergency questing purposes only, he ushered the actor out of the door, and flipped the sign to closed go somewhere else. Valerian could hardly contain his excitement. Here he was with the character who had meant so much to him, and on reflection had tried to kill him, but nobody's perfect. Going on a quest. It didn't matter that he had traded everything he had for both the map and the spells. It had been worth it. So very, very worth it. And if he had received the crossbow bolt to the head, well, at least he'd have died in his hero's shop. Nothing to lose, everything to gain. Lovely day, he mentioned, hopefully. As Ias fiddled with the lock on the door, he shrugged. Yeah, there have been better days, he breathed. But you've seen worse, I assume? I suppose. No, but you've seen worse, haven't you? I guess. Yes, but you've seen worse, haven't you? Ias turned around and looked Valerian dead in the eyes. What are you on? Valerian considered his options. Sorry, just uh, had an idea. Shall we go? Don't make me regret this. The actor pulled out another spell roll from his satchel. Well, at least I can make the travel quicker. He murmured a few words, concentrated for a moment, then Ias watched as the parchment fell to dust and another glowing doorway appeared. Take my hand. Ias looked askance. What? Take my hand. It'll help us get through without the portal closing between us. Ias swallowed his doubts and his conflicted feelings about the man before him and held out his hand. Let's get this over with him. Our hero had travelled in many interesting ways in the course of his life, 
horse, minecart, even a giant snake, but very few times by a portable portal. The feeling of weightlessness, the tumbling of his stomach, it was disconcertingly like being in love. And holding the hand of this man wasn't helping that. His vision cleared enough to see that he was no longer on the small street that had housed his shop, but in a gloomy stone tunnel. He hated gloomy stone tunnels. He grew up around gloomy stone tunnels, and nothing good ever seemed to happen in them. At all. Well, this is atmospheric, murmured Valerian. Would you care to lead the way? What for? Ias hit back. You are the only one with dark vision here, believe it or not. Oh, and uh, you can let go of my hand if you want. Ias's hand loosened automatically, a curious heat rising to his face, making him thankful that this stranger was only human. Uh, though, don't go too far or I'll be lost in the dark and I want that. Ias <laughs> knew that bad things happened in the dark, especially in gloomy tunnels that somehow swap good bunny ladies for bad bunny ladies, and the ambience was just a bit too... silent for his taste. Or... Was it? Ias placed one hand on the tunnel wall, its cold dryness beginning to be replaced with a faint hum. He could feel a pressure beginning to build in the air, and sensing something approaching, pulled Valerian fifty-odd bunny lengths to a depression in the stone wall. Mere seconds later, a large, brown, worm-like creature swooshed past, almost filling the tunnel that they had been in. Fifteen more seconds later, it was gone, and Ayas looked on in wonder and fear at what had just happened. I see you forgot to mention that this was some giant worm burrow. Valerian was visibly panicking. Yes, he'd gone up against some weird stuff in a lighthouse years ago, but this was just a little too dangerous for comfort. I, I had no idea. Doesn't it make sense that something so valuable might be a little guarded? stormed Dias, still annoyed, but experiencing more conflicting feelings of protection and interest in the weakened wreck in front of him. How many more portal scrolls have you got? Uh, two, Valerian stammered. But I can't read them. My mind's all foggy and I can't see very well. Oh, come on then. Let's see where that thing was going. They walked for a few minutes in near silence, the only sound being the breathy anxiety of Valerian and their unequal footsteps on the stone floor. The walls no longer hummed, perhaps because they didn't feel good about being walls. Eventually, however, they opened out into a dome-shaped room with a large circumference and six equally large tunnel entrances spaced equidistantly around. Above each entrance were written the words Last Allerhoffnung fahren. Ayas's eyes, however, were drawn immediately to the very centre of the room, where, atop a pedestal with a curious pinpoint of light, lay a crystal seemingly suspended in mid-air. Even if it didn't bring people back from the dead, it would still fetch a nice price when he got back to the shop. Valerian was the first to speak. Oh, the light's much better in here. Oh! Oh, that must be the crystal! Ayas was about to point to the various skeletons strewn around the room when a mildly familiar buzz filled the air. He turned to face the actor. If you're feeling up to it, get a parchment out of your bag and open a portal back to my shop. I'm going to grab that crystal. He paused, then added sheepishly, And thanks. I've not felt this alive for a while. 
Now hurry, I think that thing's on its way back. Ayas, with his characteristic agility and speed, was at the pedestal in mere milliseconds, but as his finger closed around its shiny surface, a piercing alarm sounded throughout the complex, and a disembodied voice cried out, Vornum! Diebstahl in Ganga! Vornum! Valerian was so shocked that he dropped his satchel and his parchment, and all concentration was promptly broken. Ayas saw this and knew that he needed to get Valerian on his feet, or someone else would have to come in to find the crystal to resurrect them. He turned back, however, to see the gigantic worm thing emerging from the opposite tunnel entrance and begin to snake its way towards him. A deep voice emanated from somewhere inside it. It boomed. Ayas was versed in many languages, but this was not one of them. One that he did understand was violence against something big and nasty, and this was definitely such a something. It was tubular, with pinkish-brown skin, no distinctive features to speak of. The voice came again. Give das Zuruk. One language Ayas knew well was that of self-defense, and he immediately pulled out his trusty throwing knives. Realizing that he'd left them in the wall of his shop, he reached into his bag for his crossbow, only to remember that he hadn't reloaded it. Disengage and dodge it would have to be there. In the meantime, the giant worm creature had made its way closer, and now slammed into Ayas at such speed that he was launched towards the wall where Valerian was even now picking up the pieces of paper and beginning to chant. Ayas wondered why the wall seemed to be getting so big so fast, and then it hit him. Hurry up with that wall! screamed Ayas, and went back into the fray with his dagger unsheathed. He summoned all his skill and readied for a somersault that would take him onto the creature's smooth pink back, where he might be able to dig the dagger into its flesh. He launched himself up and promptly forgot how to somersault. He wondered how he was going to die, faced with certain failure, then realized he'd used the wrong mental faculties, and not only remembered, but executed a perfect somersault onto the worm thing. He thrust the dagger down, tearing flesh and uncovering loosely packed meat spilling out from the river. There was a guttural screech, and the voice screamed, Ich werde dich toten! He stabbed it again with his steely knife, but the beast just wouldn't die. The creature bucked and writhed, dislodging Ayas in the process, then smacking him again towards Valerian, who had now opened the portal and was desperately gesturing to Ayas to make his way to the portal as fast as possible. His opponent, however, had the same idea and was also heading their way. Ayas couldn't let this creature be allowed to wreak havoc on the outside world, and most certainly not his shop. So he stood firm, Valerian and the portal behind him, the creature in front of him, and unleashed a hellish rebuke. Several things now happened at once. The creature went from a rushing pink worm to a sizzling mass of meat, hissing and spitting salty secretions everywhere. The flames went around the room and then folded back on themselves, launching Ayas backwards. Valerian skittered to the portal only to be pushed through by the flying tiefling. The crystal in Ayas's hand glowed with a pale luminescence. The feeling of changing gravity came and went, and Ayas found himself outside his shop, Valerian having broken his fall. The actor coughed weakly, and Ayas could see that he was very much the worse for wear. He cradled the man in his arms. Uh, Deary me! He said between coughs, I, 
I seem to seem to have <coughs> I seem to have seen better days. There was a note of anguish in Ayas's voice. Just wait. There's a healer nearby. We'll get you fixed. He knew that tieflings had a certain fire resistance that humans did not, and being such a target for a fast-moving ball of muscle with horns can't have helped. Valerian smiled wanly once more. At, at least I, I got a, a few more minutes with you. I think I'm... I think I'm done for. Don't say that. That creature... I, I couldn't have imagined that something like that would be my doom. There were tears in Ayas's eyes now. He knew there was little he could do. I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Not, not your fault. Would you, would you say that you've seen worse? Ayas looked Valerian in his eyes, knowing that this was what his friend, and yes, Ayas thought he could call him a friend, was wanting him to say. He took a deep breath. I've not just seen worse, Val. After that monster, I've now seen the worst. Valerian's eyes welled up, then glassed over. He was gone. The feeling of shame, horror, and bewilderment flooded through Ayas, and he collapsed in breathless tears. Minutes passed, until a familiar voice from long ago cut through the sobs. Ayas? Next up, we have a story that our judges loved very much called Bane of the Faithful, written by Hornswaggler, performed by Hem Cleveland, myself, Travis Fengroff, and K.A. Stats, with additional voices by Paul Maya, Peter Lewis, and Dallas Wheatley. Just a reminder, you can find links to all these fantastic stories, and many more, in our show notes. There's always something special about having a twin, especially when that twin starts attacking you with a sentient sword. Let's find out more in Bane of the Faithful. Bane of the Faithful by Hornswaggler The perpetual twilight was unnerving. Really, everything about this place was unnerving. Literally everything. But the fact that the light never changed and the sun, if there was one, never rose or set was just icing on the fucking cake. Maybe it was supposed to be the middle of the night. Maybe it was supposed to be dawn. They spent so long underground before ending up here that any sense of a normal day-night cycle was long gone, and it was just one more thing to feel uneasy about. All the Vess really knew for sure was that they had fought a bunch of shadowy bastards earlier, and not enough time had passed to get rid of that resulting weariness. They didn't have time to waste was the problem. If the people back in that ramshackle village were right, these damn cultists had at least a day's head start. Presumably they weren't all as incompetent as the one Tuya had dragged along for a while had been, and there was no telling if they were bothering to rest more than the bare minimum. The tracks still seemed fresh, at the very least. And unfortunately, all four of the ones following those tracks did, in fact, still need to stop their seemingly endless march to eat. At least Tuya's injuries were actually healing now, and Telactia's too. They were fine. Everyone was fine, and they'd get these damn kids back and be done. Thess was so fucking ready to be done. 
The sounds of the others packing up their meagre rations got her to turn from where she'd been watching the trees. Whether it was better or worse that there seemed to be things in the forest other than them was yet to be determined, and stepped back towards the group. She had one hand resting idly on the hilt of the sword, a habit that had only been strengthened since they set out on this job, and tried not to consider how much the quiet, nihilistic mutterings from the blade had become all but background noise. Vess nodded quickly at Tilatka, and made a mental note of the way they were favouring one arm just a little, met Errol's eyes and pointedly did not look at the wrinkled creature he was busy wrapping in its sling across his shoulder, clapped a hand on Tuya's shoulder as she passed. No! A scream from the sword froze her in her tracks, and Bess frowned, aware of Tuya's eyes on her as she tried to understand any other coherent words in the sudden shrieking that was filling her mind. It was hard to tell if it was somehow echoing, or if the sword suddenly had the ability to speak with multiple voices at once, or she was just going crazy. But after a moment, she could pass out a few phrases that were repeated enough to seem relevant. He's turning. He's turning. They got him and it's too late. He's going to turn. They got him, and it's happening again. With his power, he can't be allowed to turn. He can't help them. It's happening again. You have to kill him. The way the voice refocused in that last moment made it very clear it was directed at Vess, and she blinked hard, glancing at her brother. He didn't even look concerned, just curious. She tried for a quick, reassuring grin before turning away. What the hell are you talking about? She hissed, her grip on the hilt tightening. He's fine. He's healing like normal. It's not the wounds! The sword shrieked at her. The blood. The blood. They fed him the blood and he's turning. He's turning into one of them. One of what? He looks fine. The shadows. The shadows themselves. The faithful. Those that follow in that wretched thing's footsteps. They slink through the trees. They cut down anyone he sets his eyes on. They corrupt any that seem useful. And now they have your brother. And you have to kill him before he joins them! Like hell's I do. Vess? Tuya's voice made her start, and she glanced back at him. He definitely looked concerned now. <sighs> Is it talking to you again? She had her mouth open to reply, but the words died in her throat as she took a more careful look at her brother's face. There were patches of very faint, ashen grey at his temples and around his mouth, and the usual bright pieces of stone flecked through his skin seemed to be duller. His eyes, watching her with his usual worry, seemed to have a faint reddish sheen over them. Seemed to almost be glowing. Seriously? Vess lifted a placating hand at him, well aware that the other two were watching her now as she turned her attention back to the sword. One of those shadowy things? Those things we just fought? The faithful. The gods forsaken faithful. They have power enough already, and we cannot let them have the sort of destructive power he wields. No, he's still fine, which means we can fix this. Talakta can heal, I can heal, Errol knows about blood curses, and we can find a way to get that out of him. Blood curses? Errol spoke up hesitantly. Vess, what's going on? No time! There's no time! It's already started, and he's better at corpse than one of them! Absolutely not. Vess chanced to glance back up at Tia, trying, and she knew failing to hide her concern. Not an option. Tuya took a step toward her and she felt herself shift away, almost on instinct, except that it went against every instinct she had since she was born. He definitely noticed, brow furrowing in a concerned frown. What's it saying? What's wrong? Vess shook her head again, her free hand scrubbing across her face. We'll figure it out. There's always another way. 
There's always something. It's too late. It's too late. You have to kill him! She hadn't noticed herself drawing the blade until it was swinging wildly and with none of her usual control toward her brother. He stepped back out of reach easily and something in his face fell, shifted into something that she'd been able to recognize if she could focus on anything besides the returned incoherent screeching in her head. Errol shouted something behind her, and this must feel familiar to him, having been the first one the sword decided to steer her after when they stepped into the tunnels. She had managed to wrest control back quickly then, needing nothing more than a gruff apology before they moved on. But that hadn't been Tuya, and the sword, apparently, hadn't been this determined. Vess latched onto her right wrist, trying to pull back down or steer it away as she struggled for any coherent thought past the cacophony of warnings and omens and demands to kill this particular threat. Tuya, you're... She gripped her teeth for a second and managed to meet his eyes. He was too close. He was still far too close. Your hammer, get your hammer, that thing wants you dead. He only shook his head and Vess swore under her breath as she felt her arm pulled again. She managed to put enough of a stumble in her footing that the blade swung into the moss of a nearby tree and she could feel the sword redoubling its focus. No, no, there's always a way. There's always something. He's my twin. We don't just give up on each other. The world seemed to slow and narrow down to just herself. The furious blade in her hand and her brother who still hadn't moved. Bess focused on the latter, pushing the memory of the time she had been poisoned by some creature they'd hunted, miles from any kind of civilization, and Tuya had slung her over one shoulder, plate armor and all, to carry her back to the town's healer. The way he pushed what little healing of his own he'd had back then into her every few hours, just enough to keep the poison from spreading even further, and to keep her mostly conscious because... It's just not the same without you bitching at me the entire trip. She felt the sword cut into the soil a foot away from Tuya's boots. Her head felt like it was splitting. The time they discovered the hard way that the lovely patron at the barn Tuya had been flirting with was apparently a succubus. He'd refused to hurt Vest then too, fighting against the creature's influence until there was blood coming from his eyes as well as his nose. Vest wondered if she was looking anything like that now. The sword glanced off of Tuya's shoulder guard, and if it wasn't blood running down her face now, it was definitely tears. He still hadn't moved. He was still just watching her, hammer and shield leaning against a tree perfectly within reach. But he'd never strike his sister, not even now, not even to keep her from cutting him down. Countless monsters and close calls, the sheer number of times one had insisted the other go on ahead, that it was fine to leave them behind just this once. The way that had never happened because there was always another way. There'd always been another option, a way to push through with sheer stubbornness or to pull some unlikely solution together or, rarely, what seemed like a small miracle granted to the cleric and the paladin who had very little to offer their god, besides their best efforts. She'd take one of those miracles at this point. Didn't expect it to come in the form of Errol's arms grabbing her from behind and trying to pin her own arms to her side. The man wasn't the strongest she'd met, but he still had that lichen curse in his blood that probably helped. Vess tried to lean into the restraint, fight against her own struggling as the sword tried to pull her free. She definitely wasn't expecting the tiny, far too cold hand that latched onto the base of her neck for a moment. They had dealt with enough undead that she could recognize what Errol's little creature was trying to do. The chill of its touch spread down her shoulder blade, and had it managed much further, it might have locked her muscles up. 
maybe it was too small or maybe too hesitant, but it was still enough of a horrible feeling to throw off the next awkwardly angled strike. The sword was still screaming when Errol reached down and twisted it out of Vess's hand, the noise fading enough as it hit the ground that she could think again. There was a tense pause. Errol stepped back as Vess let herself sink to her knees and he moved to stand behind Talashka, who Vess now only noticed had magic gathered and ready in their hand. The other two faded into the background immediately as Tuya knelt in front of her. He reached one hand out, but registered enough of her instinctive flinch back to let it drop again. Vessie. Vessie. That stupid nickname was enough to break down whatever wall she had tried to toss up, and there was no mistaking the tears that fell now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Vess whispered, hearing her voice crack and not caring enough to stop it. Tutu, I'm so sorry. I couldn't... It wasn't like before. It wouldn't stop. I couldn't make it stop. I'm so sorry. No, it's it's okay. It's okay. We're we're both okay. You you didn't hurt me. See. Her sharp laugh was more of a choked cough, and Vess shook her head. <laughs> I almost did, and I couldn't stop it. It wanted you dead, and I couldn't make it stop. Why? Why me? Tuya shot a look at the sword, now so seemingly innocuous. What's it got against me? Vess shook her head, eyes squeezing shut and ignoring the fresh stream of tears that brought. You're, you're sick, too, too. That, that blood from the fight before infects people. She tried to swallow past the blockage in her throat and just managed to look up to meet her brother's eyes. It turns people into them. It was a rare thing to see real fear in Tuya's eyes, and it was made even worse by the very faint red in them that she couldn't keep from seeing now. He touched his own mouth seemingly unconsciously and glanced over her shoulder at the others. Those, uh... Those shadow things? The one that asshole brought with him? It's not happening. It probably didn't sound as convincing as she'd meant it to, but it did get his attention back on her. You hear me? It is not happening. Whatever that sword says, we can find a way to fix this. Tuya was silent for a moment. She recognized the stubborn look that settled into his eyes, knew exactly what that meant, and knew she'd never let him follow through with it. Then he nodded and leaned in enough to tap their foreheads together. We'll figure it out. We always do. The way his voice still shook at the edges meant it wasn't too likely he believed his own words, but for now, the words were enough. I know a spell that might help, Talaka said, and Vess managed to only jump a little at the sudden reminder that the other two were still here. I haven't used it often, and I'd have to... uh, I'd have to take a couple of hours to rest, but it might help. And I do know... Blood curses, like you said. Maybe not this specific sort, but I can take a look, you know? Get some idea of what we're working with, maybe. His smile was completely unconvincing, but the effort was there. We'll figure it out, Vessie. I I promise. Vess wiped at her eyes impatiently and nodded herself, trying to borrow from the confidence the others seemed to have, as minimal as even theirs might be. She turned to look at Errol, only hesitating a second before giving him a firm nod, too. I appreciate that. She told him, and then jabbed a finger towards the creature still strapped to his chest. But if that thing ever touches me again, I'm punting it into the forest. Owl just grinned shakily, patting said thing on the head a couple of times. We can stay here a bit. Let Talactka do whatever they need to do. Try that spell. Go from there. Vess looked at Tuya again, held his eyes, then 
chanced a glance back to the sword. She could still hear it, much more faintly, and its tirade seemed to have slowed since it fell. We'll figure it out, she said, mentally pushing the words at whatever controlled that blade. There's always something. And in this case, they had no other options. That was lovely. So uh, now we've got something special. We've got a group of people joining us, but we want to make sure that we're doing the Zoom thing right, so we're all going to clap at the same time to make sure our audio syncs properly. On the count of four, we're going to do the clap. So like, it's going to go three, two, one, clap. That's, that's, that's what we're going to do. Three, two, one. I don't think Caitlin and I did it in the same time. No, we did not. We're next to each other. Claps and some snaps. And it was almost like on four, except counting down from three. Yeah, we we tried. Five is right out. (laughs) But hello, everyone. Hello. 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 Is Peter joining us? I'm here, yeah. He's here. Wait, what? I got very confused. Like, where are there six participants? There's only five of us here, but there are six on the screen. I'm confused. There's actually seven. Do you see? Because Caitlin and I are one. For those who can't see, Ham's mind has been blown. Okay. I'm a real person now, so I also count as one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're here uh, with the cast of Dark Dice Season 1, uh, have meeting together on a Zoom for the first time since we played three years ago? 2018? 2017? Oh, is it really 18. that long? It was 18. Yes. But I mean, we've, we've met for... We've met in other situations. We, we have met, not all of us, though. We haven't all been together in a situation mm. since. And this is like our first mini reunion after our show actually came out and an episode was released and we actually got to hear what it sounded like <laughs> and realized it wasn't just a bonus episode of The White Vault. <laughs> um, so we had a couple questions and, and saying hello to people and we have some fan fiction because the show's gotten a bit big. Uh, Jeff Goblin has spoken with a couple of you in the meantime and had interactions on our show, which has been uh, delightful. Haunting Peter all the time. With Dream Eyes. Yes. With Dream Eyes. We've just had a bunch of fun. And I was hoping to share some of that and and get a bit behind the scenes with you guys. So first of all, hello, say your name and say um, any random fact that you'd like to say just in sort of like, what's up? So, hi, I'm Travis, the DM. You kind of know who I am. And... Random fact, I'm running on three hours of sleep. <laughs> Caitlin, you're up. <laughs> but I haven't had time to think. <laughs> uh, I'm Kay Stats. I uh, played Sister Severite Chemistral. And uh, random fact is, I think I just cooked pumpkin for the first time ever today. So that was fun. <laughs> delicious. So delicious. Uh, my name is Aethor. I played Sintri. Uh, and when we recorded three years ago, I was in a soundproof little closet in the capital of Iceland. I am now in a soundproof closet in Vestmanair. I, 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 I can almost extend my arms out this time. It's it, Improvements, my friends. Improvements. Can't turn a certain way. <laughs> There's an angle. Uh, Vali. Hi. Um, I'm also known as Hem. Um, I voice Rowena. And random fact about me, it is my birthday today. Happy birthday! birthday. I'm not doing the singing thing. Yep, and I've decided to do this. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) We're honored. You're amongst friends! Ah! Yes. Hello, I'm Cassie. I played uh, Philgia on Dark Dice. And fun fact, I really do have bunnies. Yep. (laughs) Never sure. There's people that don't believe it. They're like internet famous bunnies as well. Follow my bunnies at OBDCT on on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Do follow them. They're very, very cute. And I'll pimp your patron. Go go to the patron. Help support the bunnies. 
Do it. There is a patron, and you will get access to the um, bunny cams. Yes. <laughs> you didn't know you sought them, but now you do. <laughs> okay, I'm David Ott. I played IS Innskeep. Um, random fact, other than this was my first time even finding out what D&D was and having a character sheet and stuff like that. The last time a cow was publicly hanged for witchcraft was in 1740 in Paris. Hmm. Thank you. That's a cool fact. I love that round of And I'm going to say, you did amazingly on your first outing in RPGs. You did great. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I, yeah. Well, apart from some fairly notable... <laughs> Dice rolling? Bits. That's part of the magic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's, uh, it's, it's like a lot of things with uh, with Travis. He he says, "Why don't why don't we why don't we do a thing?" It's like, okay, I don't know what the thing is. Like speed dating, um, but you know, just 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 sort of throw me in there the and we'll do. You're it. describing my life with him. <laughs> do you think? I have no idea, but okay. <laughs> hello, hello. It's so nice to see you guys again. I'm Peter Joseph Lewis. I play Soren Arkwright. Sometimes. And uh, a random fact about me, I just found out today I'm less famous than some bunnies. So, <laughs> doing pretty good. <laughs> so, steam levels. We love you, Peter. So, we have, we have some random stories. Uh, not stories, questions. Well, we got stories and questions today. Um, so, they're, they're rather interesting ones. We can't do random stories. We'd be here forever. We only have, we have one, two, two random stories that are actually rather intentional that we'll get through. That's not one. random. <laughs> well, they, they've won our fan fiction competition. And yeah, but that wasn't random either. There was, there was people... a spreadsheet with numbers and weighting. Yeah. <laughs> Completely <laughs> random. Not random. Not random. It was not random. I gave you some numbers and you were like, I'm going to weight this differently. I'm like, what do you want about weighting? I've heard of that since I was in school. Well, not every judge. We didn't just pick a random one out of the 20 uh, stories that were sent in. I'm just so glad that I didn't have to do any judging. It was such a... It was... <laughs> It was the best thing to do to write my own factions so I didn't have to be part of the judging panel. It was great. Like, I loved it. I loved it so much. Can't too. have that, that bias. The, Can't have that bias. That was the winner of our heart. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say who, but one of the judges was like really lenient and gave a bunch of points to everyone and loved everyone. And then one of the other judges was like really brutal. And nothing got like over a 30 out of 100. And that was their like... I love you. You get a 30. <laughs> like really Knowing who the judges were, I, I have a good idea who was the brutal one and who was the, the foo-foo giving everybody points and love. Participation tro- trophy judge. It was very, very interesting. And then we had a tie for first place. Yeah. Um, but we, we had some, some questions uh, for, for you guys that I'll just sort of throw out to the ether and anyone can sort of take them. Character creation process, did you guys learn on the fly or did you talk about the mechanics beforehand or decide you wanted to play D&D <laughs> together? Like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's just a normal thing we do. Yeah, like we, we, we meet up every other weekend, the White Vault crew, and we just used to play D&D offline and then we just decided to record it one time and it just happened to be hey, that. you're going to say that and someone's going to think that's true. <laughs> Except for David, Someone he's never invited David before. Yeah, he was yeah, excluded. Was... <laughs> we're like, mm-hmm. we're not David. And they're like, oh, it's a with, white horse. We're doing this with, we'll we're doing this with Nan, yeah. but not with David. <laughs> he's, he's only there to make outpost free stand jokes. That's why we had him. Yeah. We didn't yeah. do a single one. <laughs> I, I, I was just sent these lines for an NPC saying, uh, we are here at outpost free stand, 30 kilometers southeast of Neolis and blah, 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 blah. That's all I got sent. That, that was 
it. You know, that, that was my only part of their D&D session. All right, let's, let's be real here. Um, so none of that was true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I think guess, Travis... I guess we uh, should start with, Travis, why are we doing this? Why did you decide this is what you wanted to do with us? Let's start there, because that's really where creation came in. Especially on Hem's birthday. Uh, the D and D thing, yeah. or, or today and Hem's birthday in particular, the the D and D thing, or in general, just us getting together. Um, yeah, why you decided to do Dark Dice? Why, why, why? Just why? Oh. I just got a random email one no day why. saying, do you, "I know you play D and D, you nerd. Come play with us." I'm like, sure, but why did you decide <laughs> to do that? We say nerd with all love. Yeah, it was, nothing it was but like nerd with, with the smiley face emoji with heart yes. eyes. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the. I'm a fan of your show, The Lucky Die. So the, uh, the I guess, oh, we, we were going to do a thing together, and we'd, we'd done a whole season of a show together called The White Vault, and we thought maybe we should do an icebreaker for uh, meet each other and, and, and stay with each other at uh, an Airbnb and, and play a live show together. Because uh, it's, it's good to meet people before you, you know, get in close confines and, and discover one of them is, is a little bit creepy. So <laughs> we, we did this little icebreaker, and, and Dave's like, oh, you know, I've never played D&D, and... Uh, there, there were talks of, of some other D&D games that he might be involved in, but none of them really panned out. And uh, it seemed like a really great opportunity to have a lot of fun. You're all been involved in, in horror in some way on our, our show, The White Vault, or in other shows like the No Sleep podcast. And I thought it'd be fun to do something really creepy and scary and make it a little bonus episode. And then it got a little too big because you guys didn't die. <laughs> really You're welcome, sorry. guys. <laughs> This is because we skipped the five pages uh, of yep. the, uh, what was it, the tavern. Yep. Yes. If you put we a, would a, 100% a giant have died in there, but we were just like, you know. You put up a big old sign, like murder matter, <laughs> and, uh, like main PCs welcome. It's just like, hey. <laughs> and, and we recorded it in, in two weekends, I think, like mm. eight hour sessions or something yeah, yeah. silly like that. And, and the fun fact for me was that uh, I was using a crappy microphone, so I had to redo all of my um, stuff, Ooh. which was such Same. a blessing, such a blessing, because otherwise, <laughs> otherwise uh, people would have to be stuck with some of my dubious outtakes. So uh, I'm very pleased <laughs> I got to redo everything. For, for, for me, it was mostly listening to like some of the clicks and the clanks of like the tea kettle being made in the back and you putting like I had a lot of that out of everyone's track I had some interesting stuff him being your season one transcriber and you also often had your microphone mute, muted and we often didn't hear you for the first time when you spoke yeah. <laughs> and you had that huge whiteboard that was quite fun yeah the whiteboard oh yeah you did genius. math on the whiteboard yeah because I, I was, I was, I was you know, keeping track of everything I didn't know what I needed to do <laughs> So, 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 you know, I've, I've got health points I need, to, and there's no space on the on the page that I printed out from Travis to 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 keep a track of the hit points and the stress points and everything. So it's like I've got the whiteboard. This is where I do my maths. I'm going to do the numbers on there. Oh my god! Did you have like a security like whiteboard that you brought with you as a math teacher? Like security blanket, but you have a security whiteboard that you do maths on. <laughs> David is not entertaining him. The, the whiteboard, the whiteboard is there for my students. It's not there for me. Oh, okay, okay. He was schooling us on how to play D and D. That's actually what really happened. It's like I only just read the rules for the first time in my life. So here's how else this going to go down. <laughs> so next question yeah. we've got is a, is a quick one. Uh, who's everyone's favorite character that wasn't theirs as part of the the story? So I'll start with Caitlin. I I really liked Ayas. Because I, my my character was always butting heads <laughs> with Ayas about religion, and I thought that was quite fun. It's quite fun. Um, I also liked Frigia because of the bunnies and everything. Else, but, 
My my favorite one was uh, Soren because I love love the dry humor. Humor. Yes. I didn't pick up on most of it in in during the recording, but like listening to the episodes back, I was like, "This happened." Oh, thank you. I think I would probably say Soren as well uh, because he was the most mysterious of everyone, and it's just like I don't know whether I'm going to stay up with you, but yeah, <laughs> so be it. Let's just try. Um, so yeah, I think of, of everyone, he was he had the most mystique. Uh, my choice is very obvious and simple. It's Rowena. Uh, I came to that game not expecting to roleplay that heavily, and it was going to be like a little fun. And then about a thirty-minute nighttime roleplay session later, I was like, "Oh, oh, holy shit! Oh, that was that was a lot." <laughs> Wait, Oops, we did sorry, that? everybody else who had to shut up for thirty minutes. We made pizza, coffee. We made stuff in the background. They were like just when we came back to the computers, they were still talking. We're like, okay. More of this, I guess. Yeah, we were having a blast. Yeah, like it was 30 minutes long. Travis did some fantastic editing and now we don't sound like we're just babbling, asking each other, how do we feel? What's going on with you, Cass? Like a couple of shots. It was so beautiful. And then like we'd look at Cassie and Cassie would be like, oh yeah, I'm in the same time. Have some poisoned apples. <laughs> no, it was porridge. Porridge, sorry. You poisoned oh. our porridge? I didn't even... No, did only I, for I Rowena. I ate so much of that Would porridge. Would you legitimately poison our food? No. What's my genuine fear of eating after that fucking stew incident saved my life from you trying to poison us? <laughs> it was only it after the mirror mirror room happened. Oh, sure. You just didn't have any poison before the, the mirror event. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite character is Sister Cavern's Fall because she got to die... And I've been trying to <laughs> die. I got to I die. Did... <laughs> As if that was a privilege. I've been stepping off of stairways. I've been offering to sacrifice myself. <laughs> I've been like playing lawn darts that were made before the 1960s. I've been doing everything I could possibly. But Sister Cavernsvall just gets to take all the glory and the funeral songs. He was so close from entering that tavern. He was like, Travis, kill me. <laughs> his sister was Cavern's Fall had like a magical assistance of the helmet so uh, I'm so she sorry did cheat I, I to genuinely and a just, sense of honor and duty I felt like utter trash because I laughingly said sure I'll stab Aethel that'll be funny and then I killed him and then you jumped in front of him like oh my god I've just taken someone out of the show this is someone who wrote my character she's gonna she's gonna destroy me I'm never gonna be in the white bar again what the fuck is this I felt genuinely just <laughs> That wasn't my thought, but I genuinely felt so uh, bad. I'm so sorry. On this side, it was a little bit different. Aethor had sent... He was the one who had the longest backstory. Everyone had a wonderful backstory, and I like, tied it into your uh, into the campaign for the most part. Except uh, one individual who's laughing and ordering named. I sent you two lines. You did, and they were good lines. I used to. <laughs> Added a few words in between. So then uh, Aethor is on his way to die and be off the show. And then Caitlin and I look at each other like, oh no, it throws out the show. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, she's like, oh, I've got an idea. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know what? This is totally the right thing for my character to do. And it's like, oh yes, duty, honor, and suffering. And I was just like, I can do this. Teleport my character over there. Stab me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much. <laughs> After that scene happened, Caitlin was like, yeah, I'm out of the show. I'm just going to uh, listen to these people and uh, crush at something or whatever the fuck yeah, you were doing. You were at the I was knitting. I was knitting. I was knitting. Yeah, I remember seeing the name. You were just sitting 
on the sofa like, yeah, I can chill while the rest of you go through this trauma. <laughs> I was listening. I didn't have to like change then, anything on the computer anymore. I was like, I can just listen to them be in terrible situations. And then suddenly Travis, Travis called you back in and you were not prepared. You were like, you're, like, you're with your, oh, you were yeah. about to stab him with your knitting needles. I was. I was. He didn't tell. I, I was like, okay, I'm dead. I can like relax a little bit. I'll take the dog out. Like, all those normal things. And then he's like, oh, yeah, you're in. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, that was blatantly written across oh. your face. It was very funny. <laughs> oh, I forgot there's video of that. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I have all the videos, guys. So anything that you had going on, I've got it. <laughs> oh, no, it's blackmail material. No. Hem, did you have a favorite, by the way? Uh, yeah, I, I'm biased. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I love Father Westpike. I love Sindri. Um, but uh, I think other than that, it's probably Soren. Um, I had fun with Soren. I love just stupid shit that he was doing. Like, I am dark and mysterious. And Rowena's like, oh, I'm so into that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I like them. Or, or, or the sword. I quite like the sword, despite it killing you. I did like the sword, too. <laughs> it was very talkative. Yeah. Um, but okay, that's 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 most of the questions we had. Uh, and then, did you guys like your magic items? Was was one that I thought was kind of fun. I was like, yeah, you guys got magic items. I love my magic item. It made me die, <laughs> but like in a heroic <laughs> way. <laughs> every actor's every actor's wish to die a good death. <laughs> well, what was my magic item? It's memorable, and it was memorable. All you can hope for is a memorable death. Yes. You had luck stealing bracers that literally would steal the roles of other people and make them terrible to give you better roles. Ah, that sounds really useful. Did you use yeah. that? But it also had He never used them once. Yeah, but it also it also said that it would there would be a random detrimental thing for me as well. So just a small one. Yeah, but just I a little horn. Glass over that part. <laughs> you, you know, in real life, if you had that like kind of a bracer, you'd use it, and then the next morning there's like a pebble in your shoe, and you're like, "Please, that be the detrimental thing that happened because I stole that luck." <laughs> and then you get hit by a car. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All about that bait and switch. <laughs> Could have made it across the street if you weren't limping. I don't remember that Fulgia had a. Philia actually item. had a bunch of extra spells that were just super powerful in exchange for Oh, so I had spells, okay. <laughs> and blood magic. Okay. <laughs> You're able to amplify stuff by hurting yourself. I, I was like, I have no idea how to use any of this. I'm not going to use it. <laughs> Except for the thunderbolt that went right through, uh, I think, Kevin's full face. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was effective. That was very effective. <laughs> It wasn't real. It wasn't real cavern's fall. It was the other Doppler cavern's fall. Oh, I think yeah. I think uh, um, Filia was asleep, and then she cast the thunderbolt and woke everyone up because we were oh, in the yeah, I abandoned think it room. Thunder wave or something. Yeah, because I'm like, are you thunder sure wave. you want it? Cool, we're in it. Sweet, everyone's awake. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Uh, I think I had uh, a mysterious cloak, and I had the lucky cow drop. Oh. And right. then yeah, you had somebody them, yeah. stole my cloak looking at everyone in this room. <laughs> no, you look at you look at Aya's Inchkeep and you maintain eye contact with that fucker. What? <laughs> you guys ripped <laughs> that cloak from my shoulders and it hurts. Um, and I love yeah. that cloak. It was so cool. But now it's back to its old friend. <laughs> I think David genuinely might not remember. Yep. And I had a lucky cow drop, which I almost immediately gave away anyway, because I didn't want Sindri to die. <laughs> Uh, uh, I had, um, 
what was it called? It was like the cloak of Westpike or mm-hmm. a ring of Westpike, which gave me cold resistance. I don't believe a single enemy in the entire game did cold damage. No. <laughs> so no. I was very happy. You kept the children warm? Ah, uh, yes, it did keep the children warm. My, my favorite. When you also got a basket of nuts. When your magic item comes, it comes in use in the epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> You might, you might. You also to... got that basket of nuts. You... Yeah, we had the basket of nuts, <laughs> and we had a ritual candle. I think. Um, uh, I, you might Here's need to bleep this. Complimentary think... nuts. Oh, I also had my bird. Oh, an old singing. Mm. I had my bird. Nobody liked my bird, but I loved. I my liked bird. your bird. In <laughs> it was fact, creepy. Oh, it's really creepy. Which is which is why it made it into. Oh yeah, you took it after I died. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and it made it into my story as well. It did. The bird was not lonely. It was a good <laughs> reference. I gave extra points. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. I wasn't expecting it. Uh, I think my favorite magic item was Peter's. I loved it. I was just going to say, it's hard to pass up getting the chance to make the afterlife go dance, monkey dance, whenever I please. <laughs> I was oh. loving the hell out of that lantern. Rowena, not so much, but I loved it. I thought it was awesome. It's a really clever item. Just uh, speak with that with a huge like role-playing flair on top of it. It's a really clever item. It's not OP or broken in any way. I think Travis absolutely hit the nail on the head with that. I, I tried to make items that you would all really enjoy, although I guess I didn't get one that, that David really enjoyed. But next next time, I'll have one for you, David. <laughs> You'll be happy. Just the exact same thing, but a random bonus <laughs> instead of a random detriment. And then, good. I'll be all over that, yeah. <laughs> Make that happen. And also, if I knew what, what stealing roles were as well, because as I, I, having never played D&D, so I, 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 how do I steal a role from someone else? And, so. You played it off so well. No one, no one, none of us knew. No, I Except for the fact that no. we just keep telling everybody. <laughs> so, um, a brain. A brain? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, there's a thing. There's a thing, and it's important. There's a thing we have to oh, do. It's, it it's a village. story called It Takes okay. a Village. Um, and it's it's a story. Uh, if you all click it and pull it up really briefly, you you all have lines in it. You're going to have to link us, Travis. I, I don't actually know who has lines where, so we'll have to like bumble through this, and it'll be fun, part of the adventure. The link is in the, in the uh, email that he sent. My my email was just no, no, a link to the, the Zoom. Yeah. No, no, it's an email he sent on, on Thursday. Surprise. There are, there are two Cassie, do you think I have access to my Thursday emails on a Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but not in Iceland. <laughs> I also have to ask, did you all... Um, I, everyone who's who's listening to this point has, has probably listened to the second season of The White Vault. Not you guys, maybe necessarily. Wait, but what? did you enjoy... Yeah, the White Vault season two was rad. I think I think David got his wish uh, for death in that one, I think. I enjoyed it. It was good death. <laughs> it really was. You folks are amazing Such in a delightful one. Oh, yes. <laughs> Her rampage is not about getting even. It's about getting that cloak back. <laughs> Rowena's going to like barge back into that castle at the end of season one. Like, all right, silent word, you nerd. Where's my cloak? All right, cloak? you nerd. Give me back my cloak. She like, cracks her knuckles. Um. <laughs> or maybe just at the end of... At the end of Dark Dice season two, is it just Ayas at the bottom of the pit, uh, just role playing and, and make, doing all of the voices of everyone, <laughs> or is that just not? Is this just, is this just a, is this is this just a tale he's telling Baron? Is it Baron? That's the name of the kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just a tale he's telling them. That'll be our musical <laughs> yeah. episode. Uh, so we've we've got um, we've got it takes a village by uh, Kale Galen. Uh, one of two stories we have to tell today, and feel free to interject, make comments, be surprised, laugh because it's part of the fun that we're all here doing this together. I think. Um, 
as opposed to just <laughs> recording it separately like we normally record things uh, for The White Vault and other shows that we make. It Takes a Village by Kel Galen. Uh, so, <clears throat> music, sound, effects, da-da-da. This is, a diff- this is a different place. In the world you know, our group of adventurers have failed in their mission. Most of the children have perished on the altar of a terrible hungry god, and the few that remain have been left scarred both physically and psychologically. Sister Cavern's fall is dead, having offered herself up to the bite of a cursed blade, and she's smiling and giving a thumbs up for those who can't see the podcast. <laughs> Philgia the Witch hasn't had much more luck, slaughtered by her nefarious reflection. The hunter Soren has sacrificed himself to seal the gate of the domain of the nameless god. Or did Rowena the Bard choose that fate for him? Strike that second sentence. What? Slander. Erase it? Yes, strike that second sentence. Yes. <laughs> Sl- slander. Slanderous. Objection. Leading the witness. We can't, we can't add it to the <laughs> list of crimes? Okay. The survivors have dragged themselves to Ilmitter's hope, only to find the village a shadow of itself, having sunken deeper into despair following the loss of its children. Now all that's left of them is guilt and regrets. Thankfully, as we've mentioned before, this is a different place. The snow has started falling again. Snowflakes drift down from the sky, unhurried, unhurrying, unhurried and delicate, to join the immaculate carpet already covering the ground. Most villagers are already in the church, getting ready for its festivities, and others are still busy preparing in their homes. This is in present tense, and it's killing me. <laughs> Which means the place is empty, save for one small silhouette, hurrying down the street toward the spring building at the end of it. There is a basket in their hands, which they are cradling carefully under their snow-speckled cape. They start running excitedly, and the door of the building opens. Oh, who is this? It's Baron. Oh, it's Baron. Oh, it's Baron. Oh, <laughs> I got them. I got them. Oh! A stone hidden under the blanket of snow makes them trip. They hold tight the basket and brace for impact. But right before they hit the ground, familiar hands grab their shoulders. Wow. I need those eggs intact. I need you in one piece, too. Baron looks up into the eyes of his father. He can tell Aias is more worried than irritated, which isn't unusual ever since the event, as they call it. But it still makes him feel bad. Sorry, sorry, here. He holds out the basket of eggs, which Aias takes. Thanks, kid. Let's get you inside. The weather isn't getting any better. Once the doors close behind them, Baron quickly discards his wet cape and soggy boots and then puts on his loafers and comfortable sweater that were waiting for him near the fireplace. He sighs in delight, the feeling coming back to his toes and fingers, and only then takes notice of the delicious smell escaping the kitchen. How's it coming along? He asks, leaning against the doorway. Oh, this might be my best batch yet. Hyas answers proudly. Here, have a taste. He tears one of the soft rolls of... Uh... Brioche? Brioche? B-R-I... Brioche. Is it brioche? <laughs> Can you verify this? Brioche. <laughs> brioche. <laughs> He tears one of the soft rolls of brioche bread cooling on a rack in half. Your face just went blank. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That'll have to be a new word included. We'll have some brioche bread on the show now. And hands one to his son. Baron accepts and takes a bit, <laughs> chewing thoughtfully. So, what do you think? Ias is leaning toward him eagerly. Baron thinks about it, then gives a sturdy shrug. Studied. Studied shrug. I've tasted better. Ice turns away in mock defense. Tasted better? <laughs> I wonder where. It's not like anyone in this town can cook. Baron <laughs> giggles, then steps toward the sink, washing his hands as he asks, What can I do to help? 
Oh, you can peel these apples for a start. Yes, I know you hate that. He cuts his son's protests. That's for disparaging my cooking. Ah, oh, you know I didn't mean it. Baron whines, but he still sits at the table and begins shaving the skin off the big red apples. I know that. Affection bleeds through Ayas' voice as he ruffles the young dwarf's hair, then steps away. Well, those pies aren't going to make themselves. Let's get baking. The snow has started falling in earnest, and the wind has picked up. It does not seem to be an issue for the two shapes congregating around a small brazier set in front of the church. I spy with my little eye something that starts with S. Is it snow? Hmm. I might have made that too easy. All right, your turn. Really, Soren, I don't think... Please, indulge me. (sighs) Very well. I spy with my little eyes something that starts with B. Brioche? I mean buns. <laughs> <laughs> the TM did five stress damage. On cue, one of the small rabbits nested in Philia's collar peers out of out of the furs. The witch chuckles and raises a hand to pet its tiny head. A family passing by next to them awes, and she glares in their direction. They don't seem intimidated in the slightest. Are you still trying to pretend you aren't part of this village? Soren asks once they're out of earshot. I'm not. We are merely neighbors. I don't... I'm not... I mean, look at me. Well, if you're referring to the horns, Ias seems to have integrated well enough, and he's pretty... (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) We aren't the same. Soren smiles serenely. Hmm, if you say so. We're not. He has a child, a business. I live in the woods. They're afraid of me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they are. I mean, who wouldn't be afraid of the Lady of Bunnies? Shut up, Philgia says, but there's no real heat behind it, and she laughs disbelievingly. <laughs> uh, did you know they've started sending their kids to me? Alone, to play with the bunnies. I've had to childproof my home. Hmm. Terrible. I... I don't think I mind. (laughs) (laughs) Wipe that smile off your face. Don't you think I've noticed how much time you've been spending around Ilmetter's Hope? Oh, I'm just making sure the gate is well and truly closed. Soren answers, though it's obvious he's just teasing her. Professional interest, if you will. I don't believe that one bit. You're even letting the villagers invite you for dinner. What, forest not good enough for you anymore? Well, I am getting old, after all. I have to start taking care of myself. Right, right. That's why you're here today, on the single most important night of the year, with what I imagine is a bag full of gift for kids, right? I started whittling. I gotta get rid of these toys somehow, so... Sure. You tell that yourself. They share a moment of companionable silence. People keep converging toward the church, some in groups, some alone. Most carrying platters of food wrapped in colorful cloth and brioche. <laughs> they address smiles and greetings to Filgia and Soren as they pass them, and the duo answer in kind. The sky keeps darkening, the snow keeps falling. Filgia gives the fire a little magical boost, then asks, This is a good place, isn't it? What do you mean? You know what I mean. This This is a place to settle down, isn't it? 
Are you asking me that question, or yourself? Hmm. Both, I guess. I don't want to go. I don't need to run away anymore. And I feel like it might be your case, too. Hmm. Soren hums. So sorry. <laughs> Perceptive, I... He stops, and for a moment looks a bit uncertain. I'm not used to belonging to people or to places, but this village and its inhabitants, maybe it's the fact that we saved their children, but I I feel like I'm a part of it now, and I feel homesick when I'm away. This isn't a usual thing for me. Hmm. By the time he stops talking, he even looks a bit distressed. Fugia puts a hand in his arm. I understand that feeling. The gods help me, but I care about them. You are right. This this is my home. Soren smiles. As it is mine. The sky keeps darkening. The snow keeps falling. They wait. Rowena plucks the strings of her harp in an aimless melody that Travis will have to write. He's not nervous. She's not nervous. <laughs> she isn't. But if you asked her, which is most stressful, singing in the heat of battle or in front of a crowd, her answer would doubtlessly lean toward the latter. The church is filling up slowly but surely. The long table at its center is now covered in delicious-smelling food and drinks, and the walls are decorated with garland of paper snowflakes and wreaths of holly and mistletoe. Candles are burning bright and numerous. Conversations are creating a constant hum of life as the villagers prepare for the main event. Under the gigantic tree that has been dragged into the edifice, colorful packages await. Izo, can you really just not... Anyway, colorful packages await. (laughs) And you're sure you don't want to do the sermon? I'm afraid this honor is yours, Father. Apparently Rowena isn't the only one who's letting the tension get to them. Having second thoughts, cuz. She says brightly to better hide her own nerves. Not at all. I simply thought Sister Cavernsfall might appreciate getting to speak in front of the congregation for such an important occasion. He fails his bluff check. Both Savaride and Rowena stare at him, doubt painted on their faces. All right. He capitulates. Maybe I'm a little bit anxious. Rowena starts playing a quiet, mindless tune again. Why? The old dwarf looks around furtively. People are still coming in. There's barely any space left on the table. The whole town is here, he whispers. Some of these folks I have never seen before, but they're here today. What if I make a fool of myself? Then everyone will have a bloody good laugh and then you move on. It's no big deal. No big deal. Are you telling me you're not a tiny bit nervous? Rowena gave a sturdy shrug. Eh, studied. Study shrug. <laughs> eh. Lying isn't a good look on you, Rowena. Savarite smiles. Rowena grimaces. Well, obvious. You've been fiddling with your harp ever since people have started coming in. Rowena sets her instrument down again and crosses her arms. Okay, maybe I'm experiencing some performance anxiety. Uh, You're right, cousin. She shudders. (laughs) This is a lot of people. You're going to do fine. You saved their children, remember? You brought life back to this village. They like you. You were here too. You could do the speech. You wrote it. His shoulders drop. I I suppose I did. And you, Rowena? You're a fantastic artist. Anybody 
would be honored to get to listen to you. Rowena perks up. Yeah, I suppose they would. Good girl. Now, you two, there's nothing to be afraid of. You faced off against monsters, against gods. You're going to manage just fine. The cousins exchange a look. We just don't want to disappoint them. This is the first winter festival since, you know, has to be perfect. Sindri nods in agreement. Yes, this is an important celebration. We want everything to go according to plan. And it will. You just need to trust in yourself and in those people. They love you, and you love them, don't you? Of course. We do. Then everything will be fine. Once again, Rowena and Sindri glance at each other. And we have to figure out who speaks first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just gonna take the initiative and say if you... Well, if you're sure. I am. Come on, get up there. It's almost time. No, no, where's my cold cape? It's very cold here. (laughs) No, 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 you first. I, I... I'm wearing my wrong nightcap. Well, I told I, I you, you like need to put the other one on. It wouldn't fit with your bloody armor. That was really <laughs> warm. It's hot in here. I want to go home. Sweating profusely, the pews Meanwhile, fill up. there's a harmonica player. <laughs> <laughs> the pews fill up quickly once the people take notice of Father Westpike taking his place behind the altar. He sees Sister Cavernsfall take a spot in the front. She addresses him with an encouraging thumbs up, and he sighs to himself. No going back now. He catches a glimpse of Soren and Filgia, the hunter dropping a large bag at the foot of the decorated tree before sitting with the witch in the back. Ice arrives shortly after with Baron, both carrying enough baked goods to feed half the village. They take place where there's space left. Ayas nods at Sindri in a clear sign. Go ahead. Sindri clears his throat. <clears throat> Dear friends, treasured families. The tension leaves him with each word, and he relaxes. It is my pleasure... And my privilege to welcome you to your winter solstice festival. It's been a long and demanding year. Uh, I hope you'll all find comfort in the warmth of your neighbors and in their foods. This gets a couple of laughs, encouraged. Sindri continues. Nailed it. I'm not going to make this talk too long. I can hear your stomachs growling from here. I simply wanted to say we are tougher together. If those past few months have proven anything, that's it. I hope we can persist in this direction. This is what will keep us strong and thriving in the face of adversity. I know this is exactly the kind of thing you'd expect to hear in a church, but love your neighbor, help each other, keep each other safe, and nothing will hurt you in a way that matters. And if those monsters come back to steal our children again, or what? What if if they get our kids? Yes, our kids! Yeah, the little ones! What are you going to do about it then, eh? Security! Security! Not all little, dwarves are little as well, but you know, the, the young ones. Oh no! A voice, a couple of voices heckled somewhere, so you couldn't quite pinpoint, but you can assume he saw a tiefling and his son sort of. And Rowena, was that. I can't, I can't throw my voice. He smiled calmly, readjusting his nightcap. <clears throat> then we will go after them. Again! You are not alone. You have my promise. I will do anything in my power to help, whether it is to mend a broken bone or to track down a murderous beast. And I'm sure my companions feel the same way. Do you, do you doubt us? No answer. Sindri nods to himself. Fucking thought so. (laughs) As well as you shouldn't. I wouldn't lie to you. And I'm not lying when I say this, this promises to be the best festival you've had in a while. He lifts his arms. The crowd rises as well, chanting excitedly. Sindri says... 
This is where my speech ends. My cousin Rovina has prepared a song. Let us listen to it as it fills our hearts before we fill our oh, bellies. Oh, shit. No, not now. <laughs> Here, my emotional support nightcap. <laughs> Rowena rises from her spot next to Savrite and places herself in front of the altar. She clears her throat, mindlessly plucks a couple of strings on her harp before beginning to play. Her voice rises clear and melodic under the high arches of the church, fine dwarven craftsmanship. She sings of renewal, of hope after the cold, and the green that comes after the gray. She sings of life persevering. Perse- she sings of life persevering. And the baking of brioche bread. Because oh. now you have to write that. She sings of life <laughs> persevering. I'm not going to write a song about persevering life. In little jars of preservatives. And the baking of brioche bread. Like, <laughs> this is a food bread theme thing now. It takes a village to make brioche bread. <laughs> then too soon it's over, and there's a moment of silence. Then the clapping begins, enthusiastic. Once it starts to diminish. Sindri speaks up again. Oh, oh I, I should probably stop clapping for myself. Uh, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you, Ravina, for this incredible performance. And now it's time to celebrate. So eat, drink, exchange gifts, and be merry. Go on. The assembly disperses, adults flocking toward the buffet while children hover around the tree, eyeing the packages with unrestrained curiosity. Sindri slips out from behind the altar, joining Rowena, who's got a big smile on her face and some red on her cheeks. Savarite steps closer to them. So what did I tell you? Oh, I don't know. I, I can't remember. It could have gone worse. What could have gone worse? Oh, you're going to talk. Ayas <laughs> asked, materializing <laughs> next to them, as if out of the shadows like a rogue. None of them jumps. They're used to it by now. The speech. Savarite explains. We only had one interruption. That's pretty good. Yeah, about that. Did you really sign us all up to fight against monsters should the need arise? Sindri pats Ayas on the lower arm. Height appropriate. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you would have done the same, my friend. Are you not ready to defend those people with your life? Zorn cuts in, sidling up to them with Filgi at his side. The witch sneers, though there's no real heat behind it. <laughs> I knew you were a coward, Inskeep. I spares his teeth, but it's obvious it's only from habit. I'll show you a coward, witch. Sindri claps his hands. Chim. <laughs> I got too excited. <laughs> <laughs> it happens sometimes when you get old. Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> I need new pets. <clears throat> Children, please, let's not break anything on this joyous occasion. Hmm? How about we get ourselves some food before our dear friends eat everything? I doubt that will happen. Soren says, the picture of tranquility, wondering why Sentry needs new pants. <laughs> There's enough food and pants on that table to feed a small army. <laughs> and brioche. <laughs> so much brioche. <laughs> All right, we'll get we'll get it changed real quietly, and uh, even then, just cover it up with a nightcap. Ah, oh, bloody starving, shall we? And with murmurs of assent, the team departs towards the buffet. To the buffet! And the changing room. <laughs> <laughs> Story <laughs> takes a village by Kilgalen. Read not as well as nope. as, as maybe nope. if you read it yourself. It's called "It Takes a Village to Eat Brioche." 
Ah. It takes a brioche Ooh. to feed a village. <laughs> to eat a village. One <laughs> 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 brioche. <laughs> to rule them all. <laughs> well, a little bit brioche. All right. Thank you all so much. That was quite fun. And hearing you guys as your characters again and, and not dead or, or dying or getting murdered or going insane. It was a rare this was, treat. This was much nicer. Can we make this canon? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like. Or a Dark Dice Universe 3.2 or whatever. Like I think this is like the heaven dream that Savaride has. She's like, we survived. We helped everybody. My Shit. church is flourishing. <laughs> uh, there's a there's like a there's a massive congregation. Everything's going well. I have guest speakers. I have, like, I have some bad news is... to tell you about your church, and I might have lied when I promised to go back and rebuild it. <laughs> I said I was dead, and this was my version of heaven. Let me have this. <laughs> Maybe Check. this is the world where, where Filgia and, and evil Filgia switched, and now good Filgia is in this world. Aww. Oh. Aww. Mm. And the mirror was. <laughs> oh, I see Stadness from now. Maybe um, he came back. I don't know. We'll figure this out. But anyway, uh, yeah, so um, I, I just wanted to say thank you guys uh, a million times over for playing this ridiculous game and uh, agreeing to the hells I've put you through. Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> and the hells I've put you through for a different And the hells you're continuing to put at least three of us through. So thank you oh, for I, that. I plan on more hells. You deserve each other. <laughs> <laughs> Always more hells. It's a pill. Peter flashed us. Peter appeared, scratched chin. Uh, gone in a flash. <laughs> oh, is it, he's in a different room. He was in a different room. <laughs> I think there was someone behind him too in that oh, one. Oh no. It's like that strobe scene. But guys, thank you again. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love you all so much. And, it was uh, really nice to see all of you. Yeah. Really? I hope to see Cassie again pretty soon because we live in the same country now. Yeah. <laughs> one day. One oh, day hang guys. out. Just you guys and the bunnies getting more and more famous. I see. We're trying, okay? We will all fall behind the popularity of these bunnies. That's the hope. Agreed. Bunnies, bunnies. Everybody go support the rabbits. I want to say thank you, Travis, for running this game. Uh, because GMs often don't get enough love from the players at the end of the game. It's a really hard thing to deal with, and you've dealt with us and the stupid <laughs> shit that we have done, and we'll continue to throw at you for those of us in it. So thank you, and we love you. Hear, hear. Thank you yeah, so much. Absolutely. Peter, give us hugs from at yeah, least you have some to, At least one heart, Peter. Peter! Yay! Can you take a screenshot of us all doing Shit, shit, I can't. Guys! I, I can't do the screenshot yeah. and the heart. I'm only half the heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's bad. Bad. The stuff we done to us. Just gonna keep holding this. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Doesn't matter. Our hands are so on the wrong side. That's a brioche. Press the button. Oh. Brioche hearts. This is the bread roll of life. <laughs> Look as I rip it to pieces. I have to ask, did any of you expect this to ever become anything uh, anywhere, anywhere? Or it was just like, yeah, let's do this. Like, why did you say yes? I, I personally, I just need to know before we go. That's why we said yes. My last question. Yeah, why you said yes? I just like you guys. Yeah. <laughs> have we ever said no to anything that you guys have produced? We, we're, a, we're a yes and group. You guys are amazing. You are, you're a powerhouse, as I keep on saying. I live in your house and you wouldn't stop buggering. <laughs> you were like, oh, let's Thank do this. You. I'm like, Jesus, fuck, okay? Yeah, you guys are amazing. I want so. as long as you kill me off first, and then I can go knitting. <laughs> <laughs> I could knit while we were playing, okay? And I was. I am a multitasker. She well, does. you said D&D, &D, and after that, I didn't need anything else. Like, 
<laughs> Done. Yeah. That was the title of the email. Oh, no, it yeah. was uh, Vaults and Vibrants. I wanted right. to mm. play and uh, yeah. I've, I've been a D&D nerd my entire life. You, you, you sent me an invite to play D&D with a bunch of people. I go, uh, yes. And then I throw everything off my schedule for that. Yeah. It's such a rare opportunity. You're like, okay, so there's there's like a Dungeons and Dragons possibility, and you just follow that string, even if it leads down yep. some dark yep. places. <laughs> but it doesn't lead into an inn. No, nope, not an inn. Definitely not. No, 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 no. You know, today I had the opportunity. I, I had the inn, and you know what? At the stream today, they're like, oh, there's an inn. No, let's skip that in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I tried. But anyway, thank you guys. Uh, have a great rest of your evenings, and uh, love you all so very much. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. bye for now. <laughs> bye bye bye. Bye for bye. now. Yes. We hope that they can write their wrongs in the next tale of dark. A story of monsters, mystery, and myth. And the four adventurers who have banded together as heroes and as friends. And then he hears Val's voice from above, and then he basically feels better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who come together to make the world a little safer for their fellow mortals. Large creatures. I brought Hody! (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We can't put Hody in danger. Well, I guess it's hero time. Reckless Attack is a weekly, collaboratively built and character-driven D&D 5th edition actual play podcast. Join us at our table as we explore a homebrew fantasy world whose future is built on the mistakes of the past. A story of ultra giants and saints, legends and rediscovery, and stacks of frogs. Jackers is building his own Ewok village. <laughs> yes, <he is. laughs> uh-huh. Check us out at recklessattack.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.